This is Mountaintop History, a podcast dedicated to telling the story of Monticello and all who lived and labored at this plantation. My name is Kyle Chalton, and on a chilly March day, I met with Don McCracken of the Thomas Jefferson Foundation to have a conversation about the different gardens that Jefferson designed and knew here at Monticello during his retirement years. We met along the South Terrace with beautiful hyacinths behind us in nearby patches, making their way through the soil and announcing the coming spring. All right, so Don, we're outside watching some of the beautiful flowers start to spring through the ground. It's a sign that spring is soon to come, but uh, Don, if you could just tell us what were the purposes behind these different gardens and did Jefferson take inspiration from somewhere else when designing them? Well, Kyle, of course, is a multi-layered answer for everything Jeffersonian. A part of it is for the pleasure of gardens, I'm sure, um, but also for the optimism and curiosity of Jefferson's mind. Here's a quotation for you here. Though an old man, I am but a young gardener. He also says, um, not a blade of grass shoots uninteresting to me. So a lot of this is curiosity. But keep in mind, he's also a farmer. That's his job. Um, of course, he's not doing the farming himself, is he? We'll discuss this later on. But 10,000 acres of land he owns, 5,000 around here. A lot of this is finding out what works in this new nation. Um, and it's an experiment. It's a revolutionary vegetable garden um, he would have here. Uh, several hundred different varieties of new things to see if they work or not. But he'd be out here with the grandkids to connect with the family, connecting with friends. He's in Paris for five years in, in, in France, our minister. And while he's there, he's showing his French friends Indian corn, new things from America, as he's bringing back European things. Every year he got a shipment of plants from the Jardin de Plants, the Royal Botanic Garden in France. And his good friend, Madame Tetessay, gives him the seed of a golden rain tree. And he says, every time it blooms, I shall think of you. So connections with the outside world, but knowledge from the outside world to make this a better world, a new world, a, a, a way of learning new things, um, just from horticulture. And so Don, you know, what kinds of things then were growing here at Monticello? You mentioned a vegetable garden. There's also, of course, flower gardens too. Uh, what, what is kind of the diversity? What, what would this garden look like uh, of Jefferson's? Well, right now, we're just having some bulbs coming up, some hyacinths, we'll have some tulips later on. He had things from the rest of the world, but also Native American plants as well. The local pecoons, he called them, local plants. Um, in the summertime later on, there'll be the, the, the cardinal flower, lobelia, that's from around here. But things from all over the world, in this time of exploration, things from all over are coming. Remember in the South Pacific, there's Joseph Banks and Captain Cook bringing new things from all over the world, and they would try things here. Um, a friend of his sends him Texas bird peppers from way out there, oh, about San Antonio, and he would try things like these, new world, old world, um, um, experimental, um, for joy, for, for uh, aesthetic beauty, and for useful plants as well. And we know also that next to so many of these experiments that Jefferson is is tabulating, keeping track of our failed, 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 failed. and it's just it's it's an experimental garden in many ways. To, to see what works, um, Bernard McMahon, um, in Philadelphia, um, he he sends things and buys things from him. 
And he sends someone else to McMahon, a guy whose name was Meriwether Lewis, in training for the expedition to go to the Pacific Coast. And Lewis and Clark brought back things, um, Native American plants. And, and he would try them here from the Rickery Indians, a, a long bean, um, a, a Mandan red clay corn to see what that works in this new world. Um, everything would be here. And it still is. Hundreds of things he would try from around the world to experiment. So then, Don, uh, you mentioned earlier then, of course, that Jefferson, he's, he's, he has this idea for all these gardens, and he wants to have this garden implemented. But of course, in many ways, it's not Jefferson who is implementing his vision, right? It, it's, it's, it's a community of enslaved individuals who it are maintaining is. his gardens. It is. Uh, when, he, when he talks about um, doing the gardening himself, and he is a fairly hands-on guy, much later in life, um, one of the enslaved of Monticello's family, Isaac, now Jefferson, formerly, of course, Granger, talks about Jefferson in the cool of the evening, working for maybe half an hour, digging away. It's Wormley Hughes, the uh, enslaved head gardener at Jefferson's retirement years. He's doing, of course, the heavy digging. So Jefferson here with the grandkids puttering around out here. A Scotsman named uh, a Bailey is, is running the garden for, for a few years, I think. Um, some Italian uh, uh, in, the, in the vineyards, uh, the Giannini's and, and, and a couple of Italian families are here as well. But you know most of the work is done by the enslaved community in the fields facing behind Kyle's behind us here, acres and acres of land um, cleared and farmed by the enslaved. Jefferson, as, as, as a farmer, tries to switch from tobacco to wheat as his main cash crop. And he tries rotating crops and things like that, but he's not doing it, of course. The enslaved are. This mountaintop behind me here, it's flat now. It doesn't come that way. The first year of construction, enslaved workers are leveling off the mountaintop for Jefferson to have his pretty flowers. And over behind us in the other direction is a thousand-foot-long, two-acre vegetable garden cut out of the hillside by enslaved workers Jefferson leases from another slave owner in Fredericksburg and over three winters their job is to clean out that vast amount of space and then Wormley Hughes drops about 60 or 70 wagon loads of manure on that. Thomas Jefferson writes about these things. Um, someone else of course does these things. And last question, Don. So this is kind of the history of the gardens, right? But we, of course, have these beautiful gardens here with us today, our, our, our gardening staff, working to recreate the gardens as, as Jefferson would have known them um, during those uh, years more than two, two centuries ago. Um, so if you could just describe the gardens to us today, what, what might our visitors expect if they were to travel uh, you know, throughout the spring or the summer? Kind of give us a picture of, of the gardens of Monticello um, today. Absolutely, Cal. Well, on that flattened out mountaintop would be a curving um, garden pathway very much uh, of, of the uh, influence of the English landscape gardens. Jefferson is in Europe for five years. He loves it there. But it's not really the, the Baroque gardens of like Versailles with, with, the, with the patterns, the geometric shapes that he really enjoys. I think he likes the English landscape gardens, which are much more romantic and flowing. And behind me, the landscape garden would be. So we've done what we think would have been very much as it would have been in his time. And a man named 
Peter Hatch. For 30 years, um, he ran the gardens here, and he's the man who tried to restore and did restore the hundreds of fruit trees Jefferson had in his um, orchards, which swept, swept along behind us, along the south and the north orchard. And he's the man who was in charge of restoring that huge, as I mentioned, terraced vegetable garden. And it's still being run today, as we think it would have done. We're all trying to find new things and be as accurate as we can be but we think it would have been in his time much like we have it today. The view I see behind us is uh, much more filled with trees right now. It would have been, I think, open fields in his time where the enslaved workers are growing for Jefferson, the, the, the cash crops and the, and the corns and, and, the, and the, the potatoes and, and, and the forage crops that would have been here as well. But we think it looks very much like it would have been in his time. So come see us at Monticello. We'll have tulips in bloom in April and throughout the year always something in bloom. He tells a granddaughter that there's always something in bloom um, throughout the year like the acts of a play. The flowers come forth like the bells of the day have their brief moment of beauty and splendor and then retire to that more interesting office of reproducing their like. But right now we're just having some hyacinths come up. It's, it's March now so come visit us throughout the year and the gardens will be here for you to see. This has been another episode of Mountaintop History, a collaboration podcast between WTJU and the Thomas Jefferson Foundation. This episode of Mountaintop History was made possible in part by a major grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities. Join us for new episodes every two weeks on Apple and Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and the Virginia Audio Collective. To learn more about Monticello or to plan your next trip, visit us online at monticello.org.